You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hi, everyone. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. At Messy Jesus Business, we explore how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. Now, on to our guest. Krishana N. Peterson is the author of Mystics and Misfits, Meeting God Through St. Francis and Other Unlikely Saints, and Awakened by Death, Life-Giving Lessons from the Mystics. Krishana has channeled into her writing the many things that she's learned through the experiences of her life. That includes growing up in Texas, going to graduate school in Scotland, living in intentional community on a farm in Illinois, moving to Ohio so her husband could pastor a Mennonite church, and mothering four children. In this episode of Messy Jesus Business, Krishana and I discuss mysticism and saints. We talk about the often taboo topic of death, including grief, our fear, and avoidance of the subject, and the potential that the church has to help us develop a healthier relationship with death. We also talk about the role of hospice in a secular society, the importance of rituals, and the responsibility of community in times of loss. Enjoy. Hi, Christiana. Welcome to Messy Jesus Business. Oh, it's so good to be with you, as always. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, it'll be fun to catch up and hear about your work. And, uh, you know, I've been following you and your work since I think we met some years ago. Not sure what year anymore. I can't remember. <laughs> they all run together. It's one big year. <laughs> yeah. But I've definitely felt a resonance, especially with your work about mysticism and mm-hmm. and your recent book about death. Um, mortality is something that I'm oftentimes meditating on. And so I'm wondering, how did you become so interested in mystics and death and write about these subjects? Well, I think death and mysticism, strangely enough, are sort of connected in my mind um, because it was around the time that I was, (laughs) we're going to go in, we're going to go like dive right in now, but um, I was having some uh, really bad depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and even some suicidal, not, you know, some, just some thoughts of how maybe I didn't want to live anymore. Mm. And that was a new experience for me. So kind of as, as I came out of that, that time, um, I'd had a sort of a lifelong fear of death and fixation on death. And for the first time I thought, you know, I need to really lean into this. I need to really, um, uh, explore this and kind of my fear of death. Um, and that was about the time that I picked up a Richard Rohr book and it was about the mystics. And so those things are so interconnected for me. And, in the midst of, you know, mental health issues and the early stages of motherhood, they're, they're just kind of in a mix for me, but I, but I've had a lifelong sort of 
from pretty early on, uh, just a fear of death, I think. Hmm. So it's just a time. I mean, that was several years ago. So the, the beginnings of this book, uh, or the book that I just wrote, Awakened by Death, started probably about six years ago, but it took me several years to really start writing about it. Mm, mm. So did you grow up in a type of faith community that talked about death in a healthy way or in mysticism? Or was this kind of like a new, like, did this make you kind of a weirdo? <laughs> <laughs> totally a weird. Well, I've always been a weirdo. Uh, <laughs> I knew hardly anything about the mystics. I mean, I, I had studied, I, I was an English major. So he had studied Julian of Norwich and Marjorie Kemp. Uh, from a literary perspective. Okay. But I'd never looked at them from a faith perspective or looked, I had heard of St. Francis, but I didn't know much about him. Um, And so it just kind of came at this perfect time for me, uh, sort of in terms of faith, my faith um, needing to grow, I guess, um, and feeling that like my faith was sort of stagnant. And there was something about the mystics that the way they encounter God, and it's just more than just in the mind, you know, it's, it's just Mm -hmm. full body, heart, spirit, mind. And I think the, you know, the background of my, my church tradition was very much um, sort of about intellectual faith. And I think that that can take you up to a certain point, but after a while, it just kind of felt like, is this, is this all there is? Mm -hmm. And so I think the mystics kind of was a, were a leaping off point into a, a richer faith for me. In terms of thinking about, about death in my childhood, I mean, my dad lost his father when he was 14. And so he was always sort of melancholy and aware of the fragility of life and that death, you know, could happen to any of us at any time. But I don't think he articulated it that clearly. It was more you know, he'd leave to go on a business trip and say, I love you. And I'll see you again if I don't die, basically. Oh, wow. <laughs> and yeah. so it was just sort of the awareness of this is this is going to happen at some point. But I don't think that my childhood faith, my childhood tr- tradition had necessarily any better coping skills than sort of the typical American uh, view of death. Um, I mean, maybe in, in, in the Christian perspective, there were some more intellectual helpful things in, in, in speaking about Jesus' resurrection and where we go after we die, but it was very much in the mind. And I think we just live in such a death averse culture. And I think in some, time, in some ways the church can make that worse. How do you see the church making our avoid our cultural avoidance here in the United States of, of death worse. And, Mm -hmm. and then, and like what happened for you that caused the transformation? I mean, maybe that's a blanket statement to say the church makes it worse, (laughs) but (laughs) I no no let's break it open. (laughs) Yeah. Let's break that open. I, I think that the Christian faith has the tools within it and the scriptures that we adhere to the story of Jesus and the care for the body resurrection. I think all of that is such rich language that can be offered to us when it, when it comes to talking about death. But I think that Christianity has become Americanized the Hmm. way that, you know, Christianity and the American 
have have blended. I think it shows up particularly in the ways that we grieve and in the ways that we have funerals, the very sort of staid and internal ways that we grieve. Mm. Um, the ways that we talk about somebody dies and we immediately want to start talking about heaven and at least they're with God or at least yeah. they're no longer suffering or at least, you know, it, it, in, in a way... It, the, I think people who say that are often trying to soothe their own grief mm. rather than leaning into the grief. So I think okay. it stifles our grief. You know, I think mm. Americans in general don't grieve well. <laughs> and I think yeah. sometimes in church, that language, the language of heaven can cut off that grieving process when it's not a more holistic, full view. There needs to be space for our grief. Mm. Mm. Yeah, this is a really relevant conversation right now because mm. of um, the fact that we're a year into this COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. And I'm sure you did not anticipate that when you started your book or started yeah. writing. I know, you know, you wrote, wrote about like the Black Plague and oh my goodness, all these things. <laughs> yeah. And here we are uh, dealing with a lot of collective grief and mm -hmm. um suffering from the, the loss of over half a million just Americans and then worldwide, yeah. uh, even more people who, who have left us too soon. So I'm wondering what you mean by this idea of lean into death. Mm -hmm. In the intro to your book, you write that the mystics have given me permission to lean into death. Mm -hmm. but, but I really, what does that mean to lean into it versus be afraid of it or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, well, cuz cuz I, I mean, I I I'm trying to live. I don't want I don't want to like go I know. I know. And and I you know, this is something I've honestly been struggling with as you know, when you release a book in a pandemic, um, you know, people don't want to read about death. Understandably. I mean, maybe people never want to read about death, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the morbid cool yeah. ones. The morbid weirdos. Just the morbid cool ones. Um, <laughs> and kidding. so yeah, articulating that when people are already being faced with it in ways that many of us in, you know, many of us who are more privileged have not been faced with death or the realities of death. I totally get it. Like, I don't, I don't want to read large tomes about death, although I did for this book, <laughs> you know, the, the, the things that I watch, the movies that I watch, the TV I watch, I want to, I want to watch comedies. I don't want to watch, you know, hard mm -hmm. documentaries or whatever. So mm -hmm. I understand the need to be lighthearted in the midst of a lot of us are uh, suffering from mental health issues and where we've lost people or we're just faced with death more. I am trying to articulate what what that means for us now, you know, whether we do that right this minute or we do it, if, if things ever normalize, I don't know if what that will look like for us, but that this time sort of leads us into looking more clearly at our own mortality, accepting. So I guess leaning into death is accepting that we are going to die, that each of us are going to die and looking at the ways that the fear of death has infiltrated our lives. I've had a lot of people say, well, I'm not afraid of death. You know, I know where I'm going to be. And I think there are genuinely the people who are not afraid of death. And I think that's amazing. That's a gift. But I also think the fear of death shows up in our lives in ways we're not always um, 
conscious of. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's it's a lot of internal work. Like, how have I responded to the COVID ap- outbreak? Have I said, I don't believe this is going to, this is happening. And is that a fear of death? Mm-hmm. Have I crawled inside my home and, and been too afraid to leave? Is that a fear of death? You know, I think, and, and all along the spectrum, how we respond to this potential for our death. Um, mm. Mm. I think the fear of death shows up in a lot of different ways. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And what did you discover in your research and writing about um, how we can be in relationship with death in a way that's healthier? Mm. Because I don't think we can, yeah. you know, avoid our fears or, yeah, but rather be maybe more mindful about them. Yeah, I, I think the healthiest ways I have read about are people who are willing to walk alongside those who are suffering and those who are afraid and those who have lost loved ones. Um, I write about George McDonald and, and also St. Francis de Sales. They were both very sort of pastoral, comforting people who would, who would write letters and just be walk alongside people who had lost loved ones because they both knew what it was like to, lo- to lose loved ones. So I think being willing to be in community with people who are suffering. So it's not only accepting our own death, but being willing to be with other people in in the ways that they grieve and and in their own death, not avoiding funerals, not avoiding, you know, we have have this uh, avoidance of the body and seeing the body after death. We're all really afraid of that. Understandably, it's it's a strange thing. But I think that there is something that we lose when we give away all of our funeral rituals to someone else that we pay to take care of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been reading Thomas Lynch and Caitlin Dowdy, who are both writer. They both write about death a lot and in very in very different ways. Thomas Lynch is po- very poetic, and Caitlin Dowdy is hilarious. But they're both morticians, oh, okay. and they have all of these beautiful insights about death and how it's part of the human experience. And I am kind of like, well, share the love a little bit, you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> They're learning things by being close to death. Um, mm. And I don't, I don't think all of us are supposed to be morticians, but I think that there is stuff to be learned and gained hmm. from understanding our mortality and under, and being, being willing to be with other people in uh, when they lose and when they mm. grieve. You know, as you say all that, it occurs to me that, um, so I entered my community of Franciscan sisters about 15 years ago. And within a few weeks after I moved in, Hmm. uh, there was a little series of funerals and they, and our sisters tend to die in, um, in groups like pairs or threes and death is weird isn't it yeah death is mysterious yeah. yeah so anyway so all of a sudden I was like oh my word I just went to more funerals in like just a few weeks span of time than I have in my entire life yeah. and now as a sister I've definitely like go, go to you know not recently yeah. um but it, because of the pandemic but like yeah, I would say I probably on the like the, the charts probably have gone to more mills than the average person. And yeah. and I think that's a dynamic of being a minister too. Yeah. My my dad was a hospice nurse when I was growing up. I witnessed a transformation in him. He found a home and a sense of belonging in the ministry of 
uh, accompanying people to their mm-hmm. death. And, oh, yeah, and I could just, ministry. yeah. And I could see mm-hmm. how it just really was a spiritual experience for him and he would be really mm-hmm. touched and moved. And, and he, as a hospice nurse, I would sometimes get confused. Like, Dan, did you just get paid to go to a funeral? He's like, well, yeah, it's part of my job. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, ministers do too. So yeah, like, oh, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, it was like introducing yeah. me to the weirdness of work. Mm-hmm. The rituals of death are, it's fascinating to me. Like, as you say, say all this, like people, I didn't even know it's mm. that people don't touch and look at the bodies anymore. Is that, that's yeah. changed? Yeah. In my research, you know, a lot of our, some of our ancestors would have the wakes in their home. Oh yeah. And, sure. You know, laid out in their dining room. There were different reasons for, for wakes. Of course, back then, uh, people weren't quite sure you were dead. So you you needed to be there for a little bit to make sure is this person really dead? Um, but yeah. And and they would wash the body themselves instead Mm. of sending it to the funeral home. And they sometimes Mm. would make their own, uh, coffins or sew their own burial shrouds. And it was, it's interesting. You talk about ministry because we, we moved to Ohio, four, about four years ago for my husband to become a minister Mm -hmm. and we have an older congregation. So he's done a lot of funerals. Oh, sure. And so we've been, particularly he has been at the bedside of a few people recently who have died, but he was telling me that he noticed even the language of the funeral home, that coffins are now called caskets, that, that there's Mm -hmm. lots of euphemistic language that has been put on you know, caskets a little bit more of a, of a gentle word than coffin. And hmm. when you announce somebody's death, you say they passed away instead of they died, just sort of softening, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there's reasons for that. You know, there's, there's good reasons for that in some ways, but mm-hmm. there's just not as much, we are not, we're just not as much in touch with death as we, as our ancestors, some of our ancestors used to be. Mm-hmm. You talk about your father being a hospice nurse I think that hospice nurses and now they have death doulas are hmm. such a, an amazing, you know, service for people, especially as people get farther and farther away from faith communities, because, hmm. you know, they don't trust a lot of people don't trust institutions as much anymore. And so we're, they're missing some of these death rituals mm. and, or people to walk through death with them. So it is these people who, you know, death doulas or, or hospice workers that are the only point of contact for them as they're dying. And yeah. so, you know, I think they're filling this gap that, that is, is beginning to get wider as um, communities of faith start looking different and those rituals start looking different. That's so interesting. And it just makes me think about how a lot of things that have probably uh, traditionally fallen to the role of, of priests and ministers, pastors, mm-hmm. and so on, are, are now going to be falling to secular positions as our society yeah. grows to be increasingly secular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, wow. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. One of the things I can admit is I've never been with anyone who's died, uh, like while they're dying. I've been mm-hmm. with people who have died. Yes, <laughs> they've died later. I haven't either. I haven't. Yeah, no, either. no. Mm-hmm. Oh. I mean, I've seen them after death, but I haven't actually been able to be with someone as they've died. Mm. I mean, I've had loved ones who have died, but I haven't been able to be there at the moment. And I think that often happens. Actually, just hearing 
some hospice workers talk that a lot of times people will wait till their loved ones have left the room to die. Mm. Who knows why, but, Mm -hmm. but, and there's also, and I don't know if your dad noticed this when he was a hospice worker, but as you said earlier, a lot of times death happens in multiples. If there's like Mm. a hospice facility that more than one person will die in the same night. Mm. It's really interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, even in my own family, when I was in elementary school, my grandpa died. And then I think it was a month later, my great grandma, his mom died, Mm, you know? And so, I mean, that happens in families too, Mm -hmm. when, when there's bonds and connections and certain people are probably staying on earth for somebody else. And then they, they feel a freedom to go. Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad and his mother died within, I don't know, nine months of each other. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about your dad's death? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad died actually right before we came, we moved. It was a big transition year. I was pregnant and my grandmother had just died. My sister had just had a stroke and then my dad died and then we moved to a new place. So it was, and I was writing my first book, Mystics and Misfits. So it was a bit of a year. (laughs) Congratulations on surviving that. Thank you. (laughs) Wow. yeah, I, you know, it was it, obviously it was hard, but one of the things that was particularly hard for me was that I wasn't there when he died. Um, my family all lives in Texas and I had been with him um, at Christmas and then he died in February. So they were all, they weren't all there right when he died, but they, they all, you know, descended into my mom's house because he had been on hospice in the home and just like, I was on the, a computer, you know, asking them to show me his body and the internet connection was bad and it kept, Mm. you know, going in and out. And I was just feeling such a sense of obviously loss that he died, but an extra sense of loss that I couldn't be there and touch his body and, you know, see how he looked in death and be able to say goodbye. So that was really, really hard to, to not be able to be there at that moment. And it wasn't sudden. No, he had, he had had cancer. Um, I feel like it was maybe two or two or three years from kind of the diagnosis till death. So he had, yeah, that I, my timeline might be off. I can't remember dates anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. It was, you know, it was interesting because my mom called me actually it was, no, she didn't call me that day, but the nurse came because she, he would have hospice nurse come in. And she checked him and she told my mom, it'll probably be a couple weeks. And my mom said, why don't you tell him? And so mm. she told him and I think they gave him some pain medicine. And then he, my mom went away. And then when she came back, he had died. Hmm. So it's just, it, it's just that mystery of, we really don't, we really don't know when the moment, even if someone is dying, we don't know when the moment of death will come or when it's almost like he decided he wasn't going to fight anymore. And so Mm. he let go. It's just such a mystery, you know, it's just, yeah. 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 And you started off by talking about how you used to think about your death in a really dark way. And Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that you recovered (laughs) from that time and are still here. (laughs) 
thanks be to God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you still think about your death and how, and how you want to die or I try to meditate on it a bit, just, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I take walks in the cemetery and try to think, okay, I will be here one day and, you know, writing about it, I think obviously makes me um, contemplate it more. And occasionally I'll, I'll have a freak out where I'm just like, I'm going to die. It's, you know, (laughs) you're, I'm a little scared. I want to die. You know, we just, Mm -hmm. we have our bodies and, you know, we're, we're uh, made for survival. So of course Mm -hmm. we're afraid of, or we're not, we're resisting. Most Mm. of us are resisting wanting to die. But in terms of like what things would be like after I died or my funeral or, or, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. that looks like, I've tried not to think too much about that just because I want um, my family to do what would help them grieve the best, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. I think, I, I think that way, because I think with my dad's death and his funeral, he really, uh, had his, he was a minister. And so he had his funeral like laid out just to the T and I think it was his way of sort of offering his theology to a captive audience. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think so. I think that was a beautiful thing, but it felt bereft of us in what we needed. And I think it kind of made us feel like I have two sisters, like we couldn't properly grieve in that moment the way we needed to. So that's what I hope. I guess that's what I hope when I'm gone that mm. whoever's left behind will do what it, in a healthy way, will do what it takes for them to be able to grieve in a healthy way. Hmm. I really admire how for you, it's about the care of the other. (laughs) And it's (laughs) occurring to me that (laughs) my, I'm kind of more like your dad. (laughs) Like, like, what's the theology? Like, yeah, maybe it's a personality (laughs) thing. (laughs) But our Christian faith is actually supposed to be more about the other than ourselves. So, well, I think you care about others a lot. So, (laughs) I'm a little (laughs) self-absorbed. Okay. just because I don't want to think about I don't know who knows, who knows what the subconscious stuff right it's very mysterious I mean and it's all yeah who knows but I I mean I can admit to you that I think as you, I think when I was like probably not even 10 I one day like started telling my family members I do remember like we were in the car and I was like, at my funeral, I want you all to sing Amazing Grace. And like Amazing. all these, I like started naming the hymns and they're like, is this coming soon? <laughs> I think we should know. I love that. <laughs> I just, and I was, I mean, it's just kind of been this, like, I know it's going to happen someday. So let me daydream about it. And, yeah. it, you know, and then like, like, oh, just daydream. Some people daydream about their wedding. You're like, I'm going to daydream about my funeral. <laughs> right? From a little, yeah. I totally did not daydream about about a wedding, so I must have been destined to be a nun because there's a lot of funerals of religious life. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> so one of the pieces of paperwork that we have to do at the convent is like our funeral planning form. Like, like what hymns do you want? What readings? What do you want oh, the theme to be? I love that. Actually, <laughs> I think that is so amazing. I haven't done mine. <laughs> I procrastinate on everything that becomes paperwork. If someone would have said, let's sit down and talk about it, they would have the answers. Just record it. (laughs) 
Yeah. I, mean, I have to say, I have thought about what songs I want at my funeral. Okay. Okay. But you know, yeah. all that other stuff. And plus, yeah. I guess it helps that my husband is a minister, although sure. he probably won't want to do my funeral if I go before him, you know, yeah, yeah. somebody else would need to do that, but That's I'm fair. sure he would make sure there was a lot of good theology. <laughs> in but it is interesting to have like your husband be a minister and their dad, my dad wasn't a pastor. He was like an elder, but he had a PhD in theology. So he was very much like interested in the proper theology. Mm-hmm. And he like had three ministers speak at his funeral and he wrote basically what he wanted them to say. Wow! And so at, from the other perspective, I'm like, they were pretty, uh, that was pretty kind of them to be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause not every pastor wants to be told what they're supposed to say at a funeral. Right. Well, I, I will not write my homily. <laughs> I'll like, let the pastor or the, the priest, priest can write handle that. the homily. Yeah. <laughs> right. Someone else can say that part, but my goodness. We yeah. all cope differently, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in my community, there was, um, uh, in the past few years, I, since I came to community, one of the sisters who knew she was nearing her death had it felt this great passion for creating green burials. And so now we have a green burial system. And so I haven't wonderful. That's something I'll put up on my paperwork is like, I prefer a green burial, but my reluctancy of doing so is that it will mean that I will have to be buried very quickly and, and not, you know, maybe there won't be people who can, yeah, who can come quickly. Which is kind of why embalming started, at least in our culture, obviously embalming has been around for a long time. I think it was civil war soldiers, the bodies of civil war soldiers were embalmed so that their families could see them, you Hmm. know, see the bodies. So I think that there are times, you know, where it's, it's been a helpful thing for people to grieve. Yeah. I don't want to be embalmed either. (laughs) There's, yeah, it's it's some interesting things when you read about embalming and yeah, it's not great for the earth and yeah, it's just, huh. Huh. yeah. That, that's really neat. That's really neat that they have a green burial system because that's not, I don't think that's usual. I think it's becoming more popular, which is great, but yeah. And I know they had to do a lot of legal work to get approved mm-hmm. because it's, there's all these laws about how you can be buried and yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That was enlightening yeah. for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is why it's hard. Like, you know, I, my husband and I have talked about if one of us dies, what, what do we want to do? And, you know, when the moment of grief comes, if you don't have a community that's already doing that, of course, you'll just go to what is, what your community is tending to do, which is, you know, the mortician comes or the, uh, they probably don't call them morticians anymore, but the, you know, they come and they take the body and they embalm or, or whatever. So it, it's like swimming upstream to do something different. Mm. So, you know, I've thought about wanting to learn more about that before, before it comes. Um, hmm. Cause you don't want, you know, you don't want to do that when you're grieving. You yeah. want to leave space for the grief and not be figuring out, well, how do I wash my husband's body you know right right yeah I don't that does sound awful yeah (laughs) or just even the awfulness of like logistical planning is stressful in ordinary times and then if you're 
grief too. Yeah. Yeah. You've mentioned community a few times and I'm wondering yeah. what, what your belief is about the role that the community ought to have in these mysteries, uh, especially in light of the fact that we're, this conversation is going to be airing during the Triduum on probably Holy Thursday, Good Friday is, is yeah. when listeners will pick up this podcast and tune in. <laughs> so I'm Catholic. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I know your, your family, your, your husband is Mennonite. Mm -hmm. So like mm -hmm. you're from a very different tradition, but in the Catholic church, we tend to be embracing the crucifix, embracing the cross, like mm -hmm. the death and, and yes. um, is something that is a part of our spiritual spirituality, momentum mori, like remember your death, yeah. prepare for your death, recognize that, um, that our mortality is, is, a big part of our prayer life and our life of mm -hmm. penance. Those tend to be private, individual, personal mm -hmm. things that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So what's the role of the community then? Hmm. That's really interesting. That's a great question. I mean, and I, and I want to say, I think those are some of the things that were lost in the Reformation for a wide swath of Christians is all those beautiful ancient traditions of the Catholic Church, the Ars Moriende, the, the death rituals that I think left a lot of Protestants floundering after the Reformation because they were afraid to do anything that looked too Catholic, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think that's where so much of my beloved uh, contemplative spiritual traditions have come from the Catholic Church. But yeah, I think that one of the roles of community is, and, and what you were saying earlier, that once you became a sister, you suddenly were, um, saw three, or you were involved in three funerals more than you'd ever been involved in. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, when we're really invested in a multi-generational, multicultural community, then we're offered the chance to be a part of death more. Because if we, if we're kind of, living sort of isolated and we're all more isolated than we've ever been now um people die alone more often you know and i don't think we were meant to die alone so you hear about just the heartbreaking stories of people having to say goodbye to their loved ones over an ipad because they weren't allowed in the hospital and During COVID, yeah yeah just you know i just i i just feel such an ache for the lonely deaths that are happening now. And I, you know, my hope is that as we move uh, more into being able to be with each other more, that we'll crave more of that community, that we'll crave being with each other in those important moments in the human experience. So I, I guess the community of faith for me is that you walk alongside people in these, these moments in life mm -hmm. every day, but especially in these deep moments in life to know that they're not alone, you know, the family that's left behind to, to be there as a witness to their grief. And I think part of, you know, part of mourning is the public mourning that a lot of cultures. And I think this is something that we struggle with in our culture. A lot of cultures have more vocal mourning. Mm. Um, they have professional mourners that come and wail in order for the, the family and friends of the, of the deceased to be able to feel comfortable to publicly mourn. And I think a lot of those cultures see the way we do things as, as unhealthy mm. <laughs> because we're not able to, you know, we have our private mourning that comes after, but our public mourning is such an important part of our grief 
for other people to say that person is mourning. I need to remember that person is mourning. You know, that person has lost something because in our culture, we, you know, we lose somebody and then we're expected to just, okay, after a few weeks, it's time to, it's time to move on. It's time to get on with your life instead of the, the long mourning periods that people used to have, even in the Victorian culture, you know, they wore black for a really long time. We just don't have we have so few of those things in our Euro Western culture to help us through grief that we just end up turning it inward, I think. Mm, Yeah. So in a way, giving each other the permission to like authentically wear our feelings, our experience, our emotions on our, on our sleeve. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and to like claim it and, and um, maybe stopping with the platitudes of like, oh, they're in a better place. Come yeah. on, people. Like, how is yeah. that a nice thing to say to somebody? It's not helpful. I think uh, a lot of times that's more about the person saying it than it is about oh. trying to to help or comfort, you know. Well, yeah. Or for me, it's like, a, it's such a symptom of, of we don't know how to be with, yeah. right? And what I'm really, I think hearing is that that's actually what community the the call of the community is yeah in these situations of grief and death is that we are just meant to be companions to one another not fix it Mm -hmm. not even like try to uh (laughs) like offer something to make them feel better Mm -hmm. but truly companion and be with and be present to Mm-hmm. tend to them in in what they are and not try to change it yeah yeah I think so and I have to you know I'm you know I notice these things that I'm I'm a part of this so I struggle with this too I mean mm. how would I feel if I had somebody if, if I lost a loved one and somebody came and started wailing in the funeral like how would I feel I might be taken aback or maybe it would have given me permission to do the same. Mm. And, you know, so it's like, we're, how do we fix this? We're, we're <laughs> sort of embedded in it, you know? Yeah. Just... Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I heard once someone say something judgmental about somebody of like, Oh, they just go to the drama of death all the time. And they just feel all the feelings for every single person that dies. And I was like, wow, that's a gift. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, oh, that was a good thing. <laughs> right. But, but it's, it was, you know, I think making people uncomfortable if, yeah. the, if, if they're um, doing that sort of public wailing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some, you're right. Some people are gifted with that Mm. and it, and it will make people uncomfortable. Anything that changes the status quo is going to make people uncomfortable, Mm. but that's, (laughs) that's been the case over all of human history. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) In the midst of all these mysteries and what Mm. you're learning and your own journey of faith and discovery and being in community. What is discipleship for you? You know, it's funny. I, until I got to the Mennonite church, I had never really heard the word discipleship. Oh, um, may I may up, ask? Yeah. What tradition yeah. you grew up in? Yeah. I grew up in the church of Christ. I mean, I heard, had heard the word, but it was a word that Mennonites used um, more than the tradition I grew up in. And 
I think, and one of the things that I've loved about the Mennonite church is that they take Jesus humanness and his life so seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think St. Francis did this obviously. (laughs) And one of the things I love about St. Francis is that Jesus's life was not just a good example. This was like a model of how we're to live. So discipleship to me, I guess, is just as trying to live more like Jesus. And when you, you think know, of living more like Jesus, like are what things do you, are there particular actions or mm-hmm. virtues or something that comes to mind? Well, I think being with people in their suffering hmm. um, and not placing our hope in money, <laughs> trying to live more simply, which is always a, a struggle when you have four kids. Um, you know, it's interesting because my husband was just preaching on Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And we talk about, he and I talk about death all the time. Of course, uh, it's, I mean, that's just a conversation that we have a lot, but he said it was the, it was in the gospel of Mark. And he was saying how interesting it was that Mark doesn't soften Jesus's anguish Mm -hmm. as he approaches death. So Jesus sort of runs the gamut of human emotions and fear and grief as he approaches his death and that that's a model for us um, as we approach death as well but jesus did it too and and that that passage actually has made a lot of christians over the centuries uncomfortable because mark just sort of lays it out really starkly mm-hmm. that jesus was terrified you know that it wasn't when the angel came and mm-hmm. comforted him that wasn't in that gospel mm-hmm. he was just terrified and you know anguished mm-hmm. so i think you know if, if i'm thinking about in terms of death and jesus that's one thing is like it's okay to grieve and in fact Jesus did it. And it's okay to be afraid. And in fact, Jesus was um, afraid. And so, yeah, for me, it's the simplicity and um, leaning into the suffering of others and um, seeing the wide range of human experience and human emotion. And all that you described sounds pretty countercultural and radical Mm -hmm. in light of Mm -hmm. how we have highlighted how this culture, the culture we're a part of, uh, predominant uh, American culture, white Mm -hmm. culture, I would say too, especially, avoids death, right? And and deals with it in unhealthy ways. Yeah. Thanks, Jesus, for modeling that for us. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and, uh, so, Christiana, what is messy about all this for you? Oh, it's all messy. I mean, I think death, uh, you know, one, a beautiful word for death is mysterious, but the the realistic word is that it's messy. And I think for me personally, it's messy because I write, I've spent a year, I spent a year writing this book in order to sort of come to terms with my own fear of death. And it's still there. You know, that's, that's the reality is that it's still there. I'm still, I still have to every day lean into it and contemplate and, you know, do the internal work. So but I think that's part of the work is recognizing that recognizing that the fear is there and sort of being awakened to our fear and taking that journey toward, toward healing in that way, mm. taking the internal journey where we're offering our fear to God. And um, it is in that act of offering and humility that um, we grow. 
and we're transformed. Sounds a lot like the Easter story. Hmm. <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you um, so much for coming on to Messy Jesus Business. How can our listeners follow your work and, and learn more about you and your, and your writing? Well, I have a website, ChristianaInPeterson.com, and I'm on social media, but I do most stuff on Instagram, just ChristianaInPete. Okay. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Thanks and for you're having bu- me. I invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. Whereas Krishana and I discussed how the Christian tradition has a lot of potential and tools for helping people be in a healthy relationship with the reality of death, but yet doesn't, I would like to read for you some scripture from our tradition that reminds us what Christians believe about death. This passage is from Romans, and it's very brief. I invite you to close your eyes and breathe deeply as you take it in and listen and pay attention to whether any words or phrases stick out for you. Consider if there's a particular message that God wants you to hear today. A reading from Romans chapter 14 verses 7 through 9. None of us lives for oneself and no one dies for oneself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this is why Christ died and came to life, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. That's it for this episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced and hosted by me, Sister Julia Walsh, and edited by Cherish Bedzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to mention our podcast to your friends and followers. And we'd love to have your support via Patreon. From the bottom of our hearts and the middle of the mess, thank you. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.